listening to the Creative Pep Talk podcast. This show exists to help you build a thriving creative career. I'm your host, Andy J. Pizza. You can stay up to date with all things Creative Pep Talk by following me on Instagram at Andy J. Pizza. Let's jump into today's episode. I really needed to rehaul my website. I was talking to some web people, looking around, and I got intrigued by Squarespace's new fluid engine, partially because it just sounds cool, but also because it allows you to drag and resize and layer up anything you can imagine. I dove in, rebuilt my site. It's the most me site that I've ever had. I just absolutely love it. Launched it. Got such a great response. Some industry illustration and designy peers even reached out and was like, hey, who coded this thing, man? I'm like, y'all, I did it by myself. No coding with Squarespace's new Fluid Engine. I told him like, you should go check it out. You're gonna be surprised with what you can do. And I built this thing before Squarespace reached out to sponsor the show. So I was like, boom, easy peasy. I was gonna tell you about this new site anyway. Go check it out, antijpizza.com if you wanna see what I did with it. If you want to try it yourself, make a site that's totally you, where you can build a portfolio, sell content and courses and all kinds of other stuff, head to squarespace.com for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain with promo code PEPTALK, all one word, all uppercase. This episode is supported by In The Making, an original podcast brought to you by Adobe Express, the all-in-one content creation app included in your Creative Cloud membership. If you are trying to boost the YouTube, TikTok, Reels content side of what you're doing, one episode of In The Making that I think will be super useful to you is their episode with John Ushai. I think John's method for including his audience in the process is really inspiring. And if you want to hear about that and more about leveling up your game in the creator economy, just search In The Making in your podcast player to listen. Many thanks to In The Making and Adobe Express for their support. announcements. Uh, A while back, I opened some one-on-one personal pep talk, kind of creative career consulting, coaching slots, and they sold out pretty quick. I'm working through the last of those now, and uh, I'm opening some more slots at creativepeptalk.com slash shop. So you can go check those out if for the people that have been inquiring about all that jazz. Go check it out. They usually sell out pretty fast, so get on it. Cause I, I'm still an illustrator doing, I'm doing, I'm doing some jobs that I can't wait to share with you. Um, but I can't share them right now. So go check it out. All right. Uh, other thing I want to just say real quick today, we're going to go through steps two and three. We did step one in the intro to the creative career path series last episode. If you're not familiar, uh, creative career path series is a process to map out where you are in your creative career path and it helps you make progress towards, this is the big thing, towards that sweet spot, that balance between thriving financially and creative fulfillment, that 
elusive thing that we're all trying to do, that tightrope walk. This system is designed to help you make actual progress because I feel like we all feel often lost, confused, not really knowing if we're what we're doing is making a difference and this process is meant to help you take ownership and make waves and uh, and and some of these ideas in this episode you might have heard before or thought about or knew they might be some things that I've talked about on the show before but the real secret sauce is the hierarchy and the process and it's the process I've been working on for about two or three years uh, the idea of that one two three four five six seven in this process they go in a specific order and that hierarchy and process I think is the key to unlocking this breakthrough. And so I'm thrilled to bring it to you. Here's step two and three. Find your market and carve out your niche. Here it is. All right. So we're doing the Creative Career Path series. What is the Creative Career Path? It's a seven-step process for striking the perfect balance of business and art in your creative career. A process for helping you get that place, hit that target, finding your place in uh, the creative world where you are fulfilled creatively and making a good living and thriving. And this process is the process I've used and helped other people use to make progress towards finding that bullseye. And uh, this is the way I want you to think about it. So we talked about the industry step. That's step one is choosing your industry, uh, whether that's illustration, design, the music industry, pop music industry, you know, fictional writing, whatever your industry is, that's step one. Today, we're going to talk about steps two and three, and you can think about it like a bullseye target. So the industry is the big outer ring. It's this massive group of people doing the same kind of thing. So that's illustration for me. Uh, It's the big target encompasses a lot of different things. And then the ring inside of that, which is step two, is your market. And that's a subset of the greater industry where you fit in and then there's the, the, the third ring is the bullseye on the target where you're going to find that sweet spot, where you're going to find that balance of, that elusive balance of business and art. And it's step three, which is your niche, which is how you stand out in the, the market. So it's a subset of the market. So it's getting more and more clearly defined. And this type of accuracy will allow you to Focus your efforts in your personal work and and what you're trying to accomplish. And it'll give you clarity and uh, an ability to make progress like nothing else. At least it does for me. And I go back to it and I re- and I review it and I um and I I go I go back and 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 look at it 
to help me gain clarity whenever I'm feeling confusing. I go back to my industry market and niche framework. And I want you to think about this process that we're going to do, the seven-step process, not as you're choosing your industry market and niche for the rest of your life and you're going to focus on it and you're going to put all your eggs in that basket and just keep swimming until the end of time. This is a process that is not unlike a scientific process where we're going to say, we're going to use the industry market and niche, and that's our hypothesis. We think that within this industry market and niche, we might find our sweet spot. And the second half of the process is a process for testing that hypothesis. And then whether that takes us six months, a year, two years to work through, after we're done, we might go back to the start of the industry market and niche and pivot and say, Maybe I was right on the industry, but the market was wrong. Or maybe I was even wrong on the industry. Like that happens too. Or maybe I was, the industry and market were right, but the niche was kind of out of place and I didn't really understand what made me unique within that market. And so I want you to think about this as focusing for a season to gather the data necessary to make real conclusions and make real progress. Uh, and then the last thing I want to say before we jump into the market stuff is... When we talked about choosing this industry that you're in, we talked about like your industry is saying your gift is magic, so you go to Hogwarts. And I want you to think about how when you go to Hogwarts, your gift might be magic, but you're not really a magician until you've worked your way through the process. And in the same way, this is a tool not just for... Uh, not just for uh, owning your gift and getting paid to do it, but then also a tool for developing your gift. So, you know, for me, when I first started this process, I think I, I chose the industry of illustration because I felt like that's what the raw potential of my gift was, but I wasn't really wielding the gift completely. I wasn't an illustrator and this process helped me get there. Does that make sense? It's kind of weird. You can't answer whether it makes sense. That's the thing. This is just a one-way street where I can say whatever I want. I can say, and you can't do anything about it. And that's what you bought into when you put on this podcast. All right, let's go into step two, the market. All right. So... I'm going to tell you what the market is and kind of explain it by using a fictional fantasy story. And we're going to kind of probably work through this story as we go through the series. And so I'll give you a little recap, a little refresher of where we've been. Uh, we start in this place. Your journey begins back in the day before you really knew anything about your gift before you really knew what path you wanted to be on, before you chose the maze, uh, you had a moment, this call to adventure, where something happened to you, you discovered something, and it was like a whisper saying that the key to your creative career destiny, finding that bullseye, finding that sweet spot, the key is waiting for you whenever you're ready to get started. And maybe... You got up, you ran to get the key, and you saw that there was a maze, 
and there, there was no key and you just ran through the and you're like all right i'll go through the maze the key must be in there or maybe you did the refusal of the call which many heroes do and said you know what that whisper lied to me she said there was going to be a key there was a maze there's got to be another way and there was a shadowy murmur that came creepy, crawly, oozing from the shadows of the maze and seduced you and said, and I mean, when the shadowy thing, like a whisper sounds nice, a murmur, shadowy murmur, you should have known, Andy, to ignore the shadowy murmur. But I was probably thinking, don't judge a book by its cover. Uh, That's one of my mantras. So, (laughs) So the shadowy murmur says, look, the whisper lied to you. I can show you a shortcut where you can skip the maze and get the key and and claim your creative career destiny, finding your sweet spot between art and business, thriving financially and and feeling fulfilled creatively. I know a shortcut. So you're like, okay, shadowy murmurer, show me the way. And he shows you a place through the hedges, a shortcut that gets you to the end of the maze in record timing. And there it is, the key to unlocking your creative career destiny. It's a pencil in the stone. And you walk up and you grab the handle of the sword and a beam of light rains down from the heavens and the angels start singing Sigur songs. And there's this glorious glow about you and you pull on the sword but nothing happens. Well, one thing happens. A dragon steps out and scorches you to a crisp and you nearly die because you couldn't pull the key. You couldn't pull the sword, the pencil sword, (laughs) the key pencil sword from the stone. So many metaphors, so little time. Uh, And then the whisper hovers above your nearly dead body and says, you moron, what were you doing? Why didn't you go through the maze? And you're like, I found the key, but I couldn't pull it from the, st- from the stone. And she's like, you idiot. This pencil sword is your weapon. It's not a key, you fool. The maze is the key. The maze is what unlocks your ability to pull, to have the strength, it builds your strength so that you can pull the sword, the pencil sword from the stone and slay the dragon. And if you would have trusted me and gone through the maze, we wouldn't be in this predicament. So you lick your wounds, go back to the start of the maze and start working through it. That's where we are today. Okay. So you're working through it. You're getting excited. You're like, you know what, baby? I'm going to do this right. I'm ready to roll. You're running through the maze. You're doing almost like kind of like a, you know, old school controller cheat code up, down, left, right, back, front. BBA squared, like you're trying all these different things to work your way through the hedge maze. You hit some dead ends, but you just keep going. You fall, stumble, bust your knee open, trip backwards into a pit of pencil snakes. (laughs) And get bit, and you're falling down into this pencil snake abyss, and you're pretty sure this is the end. You tried to do the maze. You really did. But you couldn't do it alone. And that's when a hand reaches down and grabs you and pulls you out of the pit. And there before you, maybe there's like four or five people 
and it's you know a diverse group of people all kinds of different strange cats there's people that have weird goggles on there's people that have a pencil bow and arrow there's a weird monster looking character there's a maybe a wizard looking character and this right here baby is your market this is where you belong these are the people that are going to help you get through step two because step two is the market and here's how it goes it's where you fit in the industry if you think about the greater industry whether it's illustration or music or whatever you can think of music it could be your genre in illustration, it could be uh, it could be kids books, it could be magazines, it could be book covers, it could be uh, medical illustrations, it could be whatever. But it's essentially the market is defined by a uh, profitable subset of your industry where your particular nature, your particular type of gifting, fits in well. Does that make sense? That's what we're going to define first. We're going to try to. We're going to take a guess. We're going to form a hypothesis of where you belong in this industry. And that is going to be your team. That's going to be your crew. And you're going to learn from them. And they're going to help you get through step two. Let's do it. One of the things that I think destroys people's ability to create a thriving creative career is that they have bought into the half-truth of thinking outside of the box. Now, thinking outside the box, we're going to get to that in step three, but I actually think there's a hierarchy, and you've probably heard this before. It's this idea of you've got to learn the rules before you can break them in meaningful ways. And I think one of the things that ends up happening, if you think about the industry, your industry, uh, the, the word industry, the idea of an industry is this stream of profit. It is a, an established arena in the world, in, the mar, in, the, in, the, uh, in, in, in society that says there are jobs and there is a demand and there is value that is necessary for society to, to do what it's trying to do in this stream. And so illustration, music, design, writing, all of these arenas, they're industries because there is a reliable, predictable stream of demand of these things. And that's why there's an industry built around them. And uh, if you want to thrive, you need to set up camp in one of the markets along this stream. There's a book called Predictable Success. You should go watch videos of this guy who talks. Um, he wrote the book Predictable Success. I don't know what his name is. I'd have to look it up. But, um, but he talks about like your career, your business gets interesting 
the minute you plug into and find your market stream, your predictable market stream. And one of the things you see with creative people is that they try to create markets from scratch, not along a river, not on fertile ground. And I think of it like an aqueduct. They try to take water, they try to take this profitable stream and set up this aqueduct and, and create fertile ground in a place that's far away from the stream. Meaning, they try to set up markets, they try to create a town in a desert where there is no uh, predictable stream of incomes. This is meaning, I'll give you an example, this means like someone that's uh, trying to pay their bills by going on Patreon and doing something that has no, uh, that completely breaks all of the rules uh, in, in such a way, like, like for instance, people are used to paying for syndicated comics and therefore that's a predictable stream of income that translates really well to things like Patreon. And the same goes for podcasts because people are used to supporting their favorite radio stations. That's a fertile ground. That's a market and setting up a town next to that market. Uh, with a, with the help of a lot of people means that peop, that becomes a reliable stream of income. But what ends up happening is a lot of creative people think outside of the box before they really know where the box is and they try to set up towns and markets in the middle of a dry desert and get the water, the money from the industry and somehow build an apparatus that gets it there and fail in the process. And actually a way better way to earn a paycheck and earn a living and find that thriving uh, business side is to find where there's already fertile ground where you can slot in nicely. So you're looking at the industry and you're asking yourself within the scope of the music industry, the illustration industry, whatever it is, where are my people? Where's my party? If this is Dungeons and Dragons, where are the people that pulled you up from the pencil snake pit? Uh, where are, if this is sports is your industry, let's say basketball is your industry, right? That's the greater uh, stream that where there's a predictable stream of income happening. Uh, then where you fit in your market would be the team that you play on. And if it's your, and if your industry is Hogwarts, because you're a magician, that's your gift. Your market, where you fit in Hogwarts, is your house, right? And, and that means that you have something in common. Your gifting has qualities that are in common with other people in that team. You know, if you're a kid's book illustrator, you have a certain type of gift that fits in to that market nicely. Uh, those are your people. So that you set up along... Uh, one of the towns, and maybe one of the towns is miners, and you're like, I'm really good at digging holes, or maybe one of the uh, towns along the river, one of the markets along the river is uh, divers, and you've got a proclivity for swimming, so that's where you're going to fit in. But basically, what you're going to have to do is identify your gift, identify the qualities of your gift, identify who you are, uh, which is part of what we do in step one, and then match it to where it fits so that you can find if you're a Gryffindor or a Hufflepuff, right? So you can find if you fit better, if you should play with the Chicago Bulls or the Indiana Pacers.
where are your people? Because it is a make or break. You have to learn from them. You have to... Uh, you have to benefit from the work that they've done establishing this place in the industry. Uh, and this is the way that you're going to plug into your successful part of the market stream. And so that is the market. In a second, let's talk about a process for identifying which place you fit. Here's how I suggest kind of a practical, systematic. I'm getting very serious. I'm feeling really serious. I've been too serious for too long. I got to shake it up because, man, I'm just getting into a weird mindset. And I like to be a little bit fresher and stranger on this podcast. So let me just shake it up a little bit. Okay. So when it comes to picking the market that you're, this is your hypothesis. It doesn't mean that you're going to do this forever. It might even mean that you do it for a little bit, start getting the gears churning over the next year or two in this, and it just becomes a part of your income stream in the long run. Or it might be where you find your perfect balance of art and business, finding that sweet spot, right? So, um, but choosing that can be kind of difficult. And usually, we have a few different options that we could see ourselves fitting in, and it kind of becomes hard to decide which genre to focus on, which, uh, which market to choose. And so I have a way of thinking about just a few tips. Now, uh, here's what I would do. I would list out three markets that you think have, uh, that could be a good fit, and then I would just do this grading system to grade them on business versus art. And we're gonna to try to find the perfect balance. Think of it as finding the fulcrum, uh, the point in which these this teeter-totter, this seesaw of art and business perfectly balances because that's a great place and that's what we all want. What we all want is to find the work that we, that emanates from our very being and that other people actually want and, and actually will pay for, right? Like if you're in that place, you pretty much don't want anything else as a creative person, I think. That's, that's kind of my opinion, finding that sweet spot. So here's what you do. List three possible uh, markets that you could go into. And then I would just uh, write this down. Negative three, negative two, negative one in a, in a horizontal line, listing them across the paper. Negative three, negative two, negative one, zero, one, two, three. And then I'd, on the left-hand side above the negative three, I would put business. And on the right-hand side, you can put art out over the three. And it's a spectrum. And zero is the sweet spot. Zero is the fulcrum that we're looking for. Now, listen, you don't have to get the paper out. I know some of you people aren't paper people. I'm not a paper person. I don't know if I would actually do this physically, but it's an exercise you can do in your mind. If your mind can handle it, if your mind can't handle it, you can be a paper person. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm sure paper people are actually better than us people that think we can do it in our minds. Um, now I've offended the, the non-paper people. Anyway, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you do it or not. It's just an idea, a way of thinking about what we're trying to do here. Then I want you to grade uh, each one, place each one of those markets where you think it fits on this scale. And here's how I want you to think about it. You think about 
whether it's super fulfilling to you versus whether there's actually money in it, whether there's actually demand. And I'll just tell you right now, I think there's a lot of pushback, a lot of pushback, a lot of magical kind of thinking in the world of creativity about following your heart and just doing whatever the heck you feel like doing. And I feel personally that I have dramatically benefited from taking this non-romantic approach and been kind of smart and thoughtful about where is there actual money in my industry? Where is there actual money? a market stream that's predictable and fruitful and fertile and finding the place where something that I really love doing, even if it's not the thing that I love doing the most, uh, actually has demand. And so I want you to play it, place those three on the spectrum and see which of them is closest to zero. And maybe the other thing you can do is say, well, maybe money means less to you or maybe you need more money. Uh, and, and maybe you need to lean towards the one that goes a little bit to the business side, or maybe you need to want to, maybe you don't, uh, maybe you don't have any kids, you don't have a mortgage, whatever. And you want to, for, for the time being, pick the one that leans towards the art side. There's no right or wrong, but if you're trying to find that perfect sweet spot, you want to pick the one that is the, the perfect balance of something you super love doing, uh, that fulfills you and also there's money in it. There's a predictable market stream. And so I would tell you, um, as you're thinking through this, I'll give you a few other tips that have helped me, that have helped me uh, do this process and kind of make some uh, headway on this. So there's three parts, three tips I'll give you. The first one is about when you're thinking about your art and what fulfills you, I think you need to balance two things. I think a lot of the time we think about talent we think about what we're good at, what people, um, what we're naturally great at, you know, whether we first time we noodled on a piano, people were like, wow, how long have you been playing? And you're like, I've never seen a piano. Like maybe you have things, talents like that that are raw, but I would give some stock to that, but I'd give just as much stock or more stock to tolerance. And I've talked about this in the podcast before, this idea that it's not it's not so much about talent in a way, you know, natural raw ability, uh, because not, you know, I mean, that's, that's a thing there. You know, I don't want to write it off completely, but I think more importantly is tolerance. Like what is the thing that you lose your sense of time and space in? Because if you can do that, that is going to give you the upper hand in the industry. That's going to give you competitive edge in the market is if you can just give tons of time and energy to this thing because you just love doing it and you get in the flow and you're all about it. So when you're thinking about grading it on the art side, I would keep that in mind. And then on the other side, the business side, I think we put so much stock in quantity of feedback. We put so much stock in, uh, you know, how many likes we get on a post. So if we did a kid's illustration and it got the most likes of anything we've ever done, we think must go, that must be the market, better go down that path. But I want to put a little bit more stock, not just in the quantity of feedback, but the quality of feedback and really ask yourself questions like, when have I made something that meant something to somebody uh, in a deeper realm where they had a physical response. Maybe they actually laughed out loud. Maybe they cried. Maybe they wrote you a note. They wrote you a letter. They wrote you a comment, a really sincere comment on Facebook or Instagram, and it just moved them in the quality of that feedback. 
might be a better indicator of where the demand is, where the demand in the market and the demand in business and the money is, than the quantity. And just to kind of uh, even that, even those scales out as you're considering and weighing these three options up. And the last one is a kind of a wild card. And, uh, you know, I talked to Meg Lewis. Meg Lewis was telling me about this on the episode that she was on saying, if you're trying to find what's unique about you and what your purpose is and what your gift is, you should maybe start at what you feel like is your weakness. Because I think we are, we collect what's bad about ourselves. We're more comfortable with being intimately uh, knowledgeable about how we don't measure up than we are. You know, every time I ask somebody, what do you think their gift is? They get super uncomfortable. We have this, I don't know, puritanical view of gifts like, well, I think I'm kind of good at this thing. You're like, shut up. You know what you're good at. You know, you know what things you do that mesmerize people, that touch people's hearts, like that is a little bit magic and supernatural. And you need to own it if you're ever going to find that sweet spot. And one of the ways that you can trick yourself into doing this is saying, what is, what are you really bad at? Because that bad thing is a rarity and the flip side of it actually might be a super strength. I'll give you an example of this. I was thinking about um, doing this process again and thinking about, I was just using it the other day, thinking about whether I should focus more on editorial or kids book or whatever over the next season. And I was thinking about the market uh, editorial illustration. I was thinking about the best jobs in that world what are they looking for? And one of the things I think they're looking for is, you know, with, with the clients I'd want to work for, like New York Times, stuff like that, um, I think they're looking for a subtlety in the create, a subtle sophistication in the illustration. And I thought, wow, that is a super weakness of mine. I've never been one to make subtle illustration. If you've, I heard someone say, I love that your color palette is in, in this piece is every color besides green. And uh, lots of my color palettes are like that. And, and I thought, yeah, man, that's a super weakness of mine. I don't really know how to be subtle. It's not my nature. But you know what? Uh, the opposite of subtle is loud. And loud illustration works really well in advertising illustration. And that's where I've made the most of my money. And so this trick of what are the things you're super self-conscious about? What are the things that, you know, other people might critique you on or might say you're not very good at? Well, what's the opposite of that? And that might give you a clue of where you're needed and where you fit in in the market. All right, that's the market. Once you have a sense of where you think you fit in, then we have to talk about how you stand out. So that's where you start. Once you know the rules, the rules you'll find in the market, the way things are done. You'll learn from them. You'll learn what you need to do and how you, how you need to exist and what, what you need to do to fit into that market. But then fitting into the market isn't enough. And following the rules isn't enough. You've got to, at some point, break those rules in interesting ways. And so in step two, we fit in. In step three, we stand out. And it works in a very particular hierarchical way, hierarchical way, where it's one, two, and three. Industry is the big ring. 
It's the big industry. And then the market is a smaller ring, which is this is where you fit. And then when within where you fit, you got to carve out your own little place. And that's the bullseye. That's the little niche that you carve out and you carve it out by standing out within the, the market. And you can see how when you don't have a sense of how the words industry, market, and niche are actually different and what the hierarchy is, uh, you can get into these really funky places. I see so many artists that try to start with the niche in creativity. They have to start with completely thinking outside the box. They start with how am I super different and leading with that. And it means that they, they end up dry in a desert trying to create an aqueduct situation, if you will. And so... Here's what happens. These, uh, this crew pulls you up from the pencil snake pit and you see this band of misfits. Think Dungeons and Dragons, Final Fantasy. This is your party. This is your crew. And uh, you've got the mage and you've got the pathfinder and you've got, I don't, I don't have, I've never played Dungeons and Dragons. Please don't send me a billion emails about all the ways that I'm wrong. I'm not saying, it's not just like Dungeons and Dragons. This is our own versions, the creative career path party. It's fantastical, but it's got its own edge. And so, They bring you on board, and this is your team. This is where you fit in, and uh, you go around. You spend some time shadowing these people, trying to figure out your place in the group. Like maybe you're a magician. Maybe you're like the – I don't know why I keep coming up with all these different classes within the market that you're in. But maybe you spend some time in the maze following around the magician, trying out his magic tricks, trying to do what he's doing. And he's like, look, man, get lost. We already have a magician in this party. And so then you go over to the Pathfinder and you're looking at the stars. You're trying to find your way and you bump into him. He's like, get out of here, man. I'm trying to read the stars. And you go over to the, the muscle of the group and he's practicing his sword play like a beast and he almost cut your head off. And he's like, what are you doing? Get out of here. I'm trying to train. We already have a muscle. And of all of a sudden, this giant beast comes out throughout the, from throughout the maze and attacks your group. And, he, and the magician's trying things. And, the, and the, the warrior's trying to cut his head off, but they're all getting destroyed and beat up. And then you realize that you have a flute <laughs> in your pocket. <laughs> Sounds so weird. You you realize for some reason you have a flute in your pocket and you think as everyone is about to meet their death, you'll play a little tune to send us out into the other side, into into the heavenly realms, and you start playing a tune, and it has kind of a jiggly puff effect on the beast, and he falls dormant, and you realize that you are the bard. And they need a bard. They need the musician, storytelling, creative person in this team. And if you found out how in this place where you fit in, how you stand out. And the fact of the matter is, if you're in Gryffindor, we don't need two Harry Potters. We need a Hermione and a Harry Potter. Within, they might have a lot of the same things in common in Gryffindor, but, they all, but they're not carbon copies because you don't need two point guards. You don't need two Michael Jordans on the team where you fit in. One of you got to be the Dennis Rodman getting the rebounds. And so within this market, you can't just be just like some other logo designer in your market. 
We don't need two of them. And so how do you start creating a place that is all your own, but also clearly fits in to this predictable market stream? And that is what carving out your niche is all about. And so let's talk quickly about how to do that. All right, so I've convinced you, you gotta carve out your niche, right? So how do you do it? How do you do it? You found where you fit. Now, how do you find out what your role is in there? How do you find out why you have unique value to give? How do you not just replicate what somebody else is doing? All right, here's my suggestion of a way to get started on this. Okay, here's what I want you to do. I want you to create a you on a plate Pinterest board, secret Pinterest board. It's not gonna look pretty. So uh, it's not for other people, it's just for your purposes. And it's you on a plate. If you ever watch Gordon Ramsay do anything with any chef, he always says that phrase so many times that it makes you nauseous almost. Uh, but they say it over and over, this idea that, you know, when people put their culture and their experience and their personality and they put all of that passion and soul into their dish, they say, that's really you on a plate. And this is you on a pen board. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to create a pen board with like 20 to 50 things. And I want it to be so you that if somebody saw it, that a close friend or family saw it, they would know that you made it, that you are the only person that could have made this pen board. And I think it brings up an interesting point is like, it's not even about Like you might put, I would put pizza on there. I would probably put boys to men on there. I'd probably put Fraggle Rock on there. I'd probably put Alexander Gerard on there. I would probably put Zelda on there. Like putting Zelda on a pin board of inspiration, nothing, nothing unique about that. But there is something unique about somebody who I might be the only person that would put boys to men and Zelda on the same pin board. And it's, and, and I'm going to talk about the sum of the parts thing in a minute, but just bear in mind. Now I'm saying you can put some of your taste in art that should be part of it, but it should not be the only thing that informs your creativity. Because if your influences, which probably are going to come from your market to a degree, are the only thing that inspires you you're not gonna be creating a niche. You're not gonna be carving out anything unique. And so it needs to go beyond your market. It needs to go beyond your industry. It should include those things, but not be limited to those things and be inclu- include in that things that you can't possibly see how they relate to uh, your niche. But, and, and so try to surprise yourself. If you're not surprising yourself, there's really no reason to, to create this pen board. The pen board is to, to discover something you don't know um, and give you fodder for injecting this into the content of your personal project, into, the, uh, into uh, creating and carving out this niche. All right, so 
I want you to create that pen board with all this stuff, everything that makes you, makes you, you. And here's some tips for thinking about some things uh, to put on this board. One is my classic six-year-old tattoo idea. And that's just the idea that says the tattoo that you would be jazzed about getting when you were six years old and still like now is probably something you would like when you're 96 years old. And that means that it's speaking to something about the core of your essence. That's a clue to who you are. So put that kind of stuff. Like there's a, there's a bunch of stuff in that realm that I would have, if I saw that tattoo, I would have thought that's awesome when I was six years old and still like it today. What's think about the things that bring you to tears. One of the things that brings me to tears recently, doesn't matter what it is, uh, is someone reaching their full potential, hidden potential, becoming more than they thought they were capable of leveling up. And that's why I remember when I was 14 watching Dragon Ball Z and Goku goes super Saiyan for the first time. And it brings tears to my eyes because there's something about reaching full potential that just blows my mind and I love it. And a lot of my artwork is trying to capture the feeling of, of a character reaching their full potential. Uh, just weird things like that. What are, what are the things that bring you to tears? What are the things that you laugh at? And then especially things that you laugh at that nobody else seems to think is especially funny. Uh, guilty pleasures, all that. Get it all down. This is the stuff that makes you unique. And let me just... Um, and some of this will influence your personal brand as a way that makes you stand out. And some of it will actually impact the type of work that you do and the content that you do and the style that you do it in. Uh, I'm going to add three points, uh, three little reminders to this. One, not too different. Now, this is what I want to tell you, man. Like, this is a big thing for creative people. I'll just say this. Most of the people at the top of their field are not too dramatically different to those, to others in their market. It's like pop music, music that's commercially oriented, which is what we're talking about. Business and art, balancing that. Uh, people need some familiarity. If you, like most people have genres that they are predisposed to interacting with. If you're not a crazy uh, fiction, like I don't, I don't love fiction that much. I don't read that much fiction. If I'm going to read fiction, it's going to be easy to read sci-fi fantasy stuff. I just like that. I know I can pick up something that, that's done really well in that, that market, that genre, and I know if I pick it up, I'm probably going to enjoy it. And if it's too crazy outside the bounds where it doesn't even really fit into sci-fi fantasy, it's, it's going to either not going to be something I probably pick up uh, or I'm not going to finish it because I'm like, well, I don't even know. This is not really doing it for me. And the same goes for the ma vast majority of your customers. They need context and points of reference that help them understand where this sits in the industry and whether it's something that they're looking for. And so when it comes to your niche, I'm not telling you, this is where people, you know, like great uh, designer Paul Rand said, don't try to be original, try to be good. This is where that comes into play. Like being good at your market trumps being unique. And that's why it's the second layer and not the third. 
This is like you adding the secret sauce to a great hamburger. The hamburger is the market. That's the market you're in. You're in the hamburging, hamburging, hamburg, <laughs> fast food market. But your sauce, just that little bit of something extra is what sets you apart from your competition. That's what the niche is. And the other thing is, your uh, you on a pen board, it might be 50% of your board might be something that you have in common with other people. And it probably should be. It probably should be something, things that other people enjoy and can relate to. That's how you're going to connect with them. But it shouldn't be 100% of your board should not be the same as someone else in your market. And it's the sum of these unique pieces that create something new. And the truth is, something completely and utterly new, as small as it might be, is something that can give you an edge. So don't worry if it's not earth-shatteringly, uh, you know, market-crushing original. And if it is that, you're probably too far outside the box to really be considered part of the genre and really connect to that predictable market stream. And the last thing I want to say, last note about this is that as you're doing this, you on a pen board, you on a plate kind of activity, I want you to see it through the lens of self-actualization. I want you to see it through the lens of growth in yourself and your self-knowledge. This idea hit me like a ton of bricks last week and I've been thinking about it ever since. It's that, here it is. Your artwork will have a really hard time outgrowing you. Your artwork is going to have a hard time being more mature, more profound, more uh, powerful than you are as a person. And this is why I hope to one day have, you know, I tried to have uh, Jared Bush on the podcast. He was the writer of Zootopia and Moana. Uh, he was not the only writer on those, but he was the head writer. And I want to have him on the podcast one day because I know that he has to know a lot about philosophy to write those movies. And you can't write those movies without some sense of philosophy, historically knowledge, uh, you know, knowledge based in these things. And also your own opinions and experiences with these things. You can't make something profound if you've never had any profound experiences. And so for me, this you on a plate is a self-discovery that is necessary to have that kind of breakthrough in your work because your artwork cannot outgrow you. So you have to grow as a person if you want your art to grow too. And I see this activity as part of self-actualization and therefore self-actualization in your work. And, and, and that self-actualization, which I could say self-actualization 85 times, but what I'm trying to say is that will be the thing that sets you apart in your market. All right. So, you know, the, my plan for this episode, and I get it, man, this thing, oh, baby, this episode is, I hope, jam-packed to the frickin' brim. It's going to take some time to process it, hopefully. It's going to take some time to work through it. You know, you might have to pause and come back. You might, you know, I suggest listen through it. I'll probably say this at the beginning in the intro when I record that, but, but you know, I know it's a lot. 
but I uh, I want to get this stuff out to you, and I don't want to wait until it's published in a book. Uh, so I'm doing it, baby, and I hope that it's uh, it sounds like from your feedback that it's hitting uh, the right notes for you. So here's what I want you to do. When you've made some progress and you feel like you have a hypothesis of your market, which one to go into, and you have a, you've started to work on that pin board, here's the next thing and the last thing I want you to do in this process of step two and three is I want you to make a list of you know three to five market models, people in that market, that you have things in common with, people in your house. If you're in Gryffindor and you're Harry Potter, who are your Hermione, Ron, and Neville? Who are the people that that uh, that are in there? And learn something about yourself and learn something about the market that you fit into. List them out. Learn from them. Learn what they did. Who have they worked with? What are they... What are they? Uh, what kind of jobs do they get? What kind of? What are the rules of this industry? How do they present themselves? You will find a wealth of knowledge if you will do this process. I guarantee you, it will give you clarity that there is no other way of attaining. I kid you not. And then compare yourselves to them and see the ways that you are different. And that will give you clues on your niche. This process that we're doing, I want you to do it once and use it for this process. But just know it's going to be uh, something you're going to return to and do over and over again and learn more and more about and develop your gift in this industry through this process. Okay? So do that. Find your market models. See what you can learn from them, what you're doing wrong. Maybe even learn some things that are different to them, things that maybe you couldn't do like them if you tried, and then see how that weakness could be a strength. And that's kind of the last practical uh, thing I want you to think about. So here's where I want to end it. I want to talk about this idea. We're in a weird global zone, and I think there's a lot of brilliant things. I could not be in your ears right now if we didn't have the internet and the global vibes, right? I know there are people in India right now listening to Creative Pep Talk. How freaking nuts is that? And I just question, what are you doing? Are you crazy? Why are you listening to this weird guy from uh, Ohio? <laughs> but it's amazing, right? And so I'm, I'm blessed and excited about this whole idea. But, buts, check it out. Uh, there's also a lot of downsides, a lot of struggles, a lot of things you got to figure out because of that, you know, a lot of you are probably familiar with this idea that like, you know, we have, we developed in civilizations that were about 150 people. That was our tribe. And that's where we developed the way our coping mechanisms and our anxiety and our celebrating and all this stuff, these places where we fit in. That's, and, and that's one of the reasons we have a hard time grappling with the news and the chaos of the entire planet on a day-to-day -day basis. And it creates all this anxiety and stress. And this other thing that happens is that uh, because we're competing globally, we lose our ability to stand out. We lose our ability for achieving significance when you feel like you're competing with 7 billion people. You feel really small. You feel like what you have means nothing. And this, my friends, is the power of the market 
in the niche. The market is your 150 people. The niche is how you stand out. And I'm draw, you know, I believe this thing and it's controversial and it speaks some heavy things to maybe the current place that we're in as a society. But I think that it's a fundamental right as humans to do meaningful work. And I know that can be perceived as a place of privilege and it is at this time and place. But I'm telling you, I believe in my heart that it is not right and it is unjust to ask humans to do, spend 90% of their life working on things that are soul crushing and meaningless. And the fact of the matter is you can be a fisherman fishing for your family and find meaning in that. Right? So I'm not saying that we all need to be painters sitting on a mountain in the breeze, you know, digging in the depths of the profound side of human existence. I'm not saying that everybody can do that. But I do believe that back in the day when we were in our tribes, in these groups of people that we fit into, that we found what was unique about us. And because we were using our unique qualities, we carved out a niche and that niche gave us significance and meaning in our tribe. And it gave meaning to our work. And I think in so many different ways, we have divorced ourselves from that. And I think that's part of the reason you see when the Industrial Revolution rises up, that so many people turn to alcohol to suppress this need for meaning and significance. And I don't know how we're going to get there as a culture, but I believe that we have to start working on it. And I think it starts with you having a clear idea of your gift, where it fits in that industry and how it's different. There's nothing I'm kidding. I'm, I'm being really, really serious with you right now. This is on my mind all the time. This feeling, this sight of a creative person trying to build an aqueduct, trying to create a market in the desert, trying so bad, so afraid that they're going to be unoriginal, that they're irrelevant. And there's nothing, it just crushes me to see somebody trying to set up ground and not just in fertile soil, but in sand. And so this episode, I want to be the moment where you own your gift and you say, this is the maze that I'm choosing. This is the industry that I'm going into. I'm going to work through this because I think I could have this gift and I'm going to go through the process of developing it and I'm going to go find my place. I'm going to go find my people. It is a profound experience to go find those people that are like you. And then there's another level to it when you find out why you're different and why you have value and why what you have is needed in the world. And I want that for you. It's the sweetest feeling and I've tasted it. And I'm sure you have too. And I believe that if you will go through this process, you will make some progress and we'll start tipping that scale and finding that fulcrum, that balance of thriving financially and feeling fulfilled by the creativity that we're doing. Thank you.
Doesn't that sound good? Let's do it. All right, there you have it. These steps are, they can't be my favorite because each of the seven steps are kind of my babies. Uh, but I love some of the principles in this and the way that the whole kind of paradoxical fitting in and then standing out kind of thing and, and kind of putting it in its place is just something that came to me when I was teaching at an art school uh, while I was actually in the process of teaching and trying to articulate what I meant by, um, you know, th these ideas. And it kind of became really clear to me. And I am so thrilled to finally share it with you. Guys, guys, come on, man. I, I know that I am, uh, get really passionate. The end of this episode was very passionate. I got very serious. Ro I raised my voice a little bit and I feel like a dad for doing that. I feel like an art, your art dad and, and you're rolling your eyes like, come on art dad, but I care, man. I just care. I do it because I care. And uh, I know, <laughs> I know a lot of you guys appreciate the passion, but it, I'm a silly person, you know, and it feels, I get, I get so worked up and I think, Andy, take it easy now, buddy. You're getting passionate again, but I just, I care and I want this, uh, I, I built this process to help bring some logic to the magic of creativity so that uh, we could make progress because nothing, it, it crushes me to see people with hidden potential that they don't unleash. I hate it so bad, especially in creative people. And so, uh, and, and I also know that the maze, the industry maze is, uh, is tricky. It, it, there's bumps and bruises. There are lots of times where you end up face down on the living room floor wanting to give up. And I get it. And I just heard, I didn't watch the Oscars, but I just heard that uh, uh, Jordan Peele was saying that he, he almost gave up writing the movie Get Out that was nominated, I think, for Best Picture, but Best Director for sure. Uh, he almost gave up like 12 times in the process of writing that movie. And I just think, man, the, the, the maze, the creative career maze uh, is so full of bumps and bruises and it, it can be so brutal that, um, and I just am so empathetic to creative people and I'm so passionate about creativity and I love, I love the process of someone using, reaching their true potential, you know, learning, like having this before and after of like, you know, Steve Carell before 40 year old virgin, before he knew what it was like to be the star of a thing. Like we didn't know he could do it. We didn't know he had that in him. And I just hate this idea that there are so many stories and so much art and creativity that never gets unleashed. And so I get passionate. I get passionate about it. So I'm sorry I'm not sorry. And I hope that that passion fuels your jets uh, at the expense of my cool. Uh, <laughs> so yeah. Um, if the uh, the old creative pep talk gives you something if you've got something from it and you want to give back if you feel the urge to do that there are a few different ways you can support the show some of them are really easy and free and some of them are 
easy and cost money. Um, <laughs> you can review the show on iTunes, rate and review it on there. That helps us in the rankings there and is kind of a game changer, way more than you would think. So go do that if you haven't. Uh, you can back the podcast financially and become a producer of the show at patreon.com slash creative pep talk. Uh, and I'm also doing some Ask Dr. Pizza segments for $2 backers where people send in questions and I pick one and answer it in an, a little brief audio answer. And that's been really cool. So if you're stuck on something, that's something you can do. You can get Creative Pep Talk merch at uh, creativepeptalk.com slash shop. And you can get access to the first 100 episodes of the show and stay up to date with new shows by signing up to the newsletter on creativepeptalk.com. That's a lot of stuff. Thanks to Yoni Wolf and the band Y for our theme music. Thanks to Nate Utesh and the band Metavari for the some of the other tunes. You can find out more about them at Metavari. Dot com And thanks to Alex Sugg for being the trooper and editing this show week after week and adding some of his own music as well. He has really elevated this show, and I'm super grateful for you, man. Thank you. And uh, thanks to all of you guys listening. Uh, I hope this fills your tank. And until we speak again, stay pepped up. <laughs>